This morning we're looking at uh, Luke 18, 1 through 8. Um, strange little parable that Jesus tells. You'll find it on the screen behind me if you've got it with you. Uh, you can follow along that way as well. Luke 18, uh, 1 through 8. Um, before we read, let's pray. God, thanks again for for this time. For us to sort of let go of ourselves and enter into your word. Enter into a story that you told your closest followers way back when. Help us to enter into it again. We ask that you'd reveal yourself to us. Help us to see. Help us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor, nor cared about what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. And for some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Look at that far. That's it. That's the story. Um, and I think it's meant to be funny. I think, you know, the, the distance between us and back when Jesus told this, this story first uh, is, is great. So I, I think we miss the, the funniness about it. I, I mean, I don't know if we can even get there. Uh, but I think this story is supposed to be funny because this judge is like, I don't want to listen to this lady. I don't need to. I don't care about what God thinks. I don't care what other people think. But because this woman is just bothering me, fine. I'll give you what you want. I think it's supposed to be funny. I'm not laughing, but I think it's supposed to be funny. And for us, to our ears, it's, it's kind of a weird little story, right? I think it's a weird little story. And, and before we get into it, I think it's important, as always, to remember where we are in Luke's telling of the Jesus story. And, and I think it's important for us to remember what Jesus, uh, what Jesus is up to. Right? So I've mentioned this with other stories in Luke, but, so I'm going to try to be brief on this, but I think it's just so cool that every time we, we bump up against one of these stories in this section of Luke, I think it's important for us to, to understand what's going on here. And a guy named Eugene Peterson, who is gone now, I'm so sad, um, he, he kind of gives us this metaphor, right? So in Luke chapter 9, uh, it's, Luke tells us that Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem, 
Right? He's in Galilee, but he sets his face toward Jerusalem. So he's headed to Jerusalem. They're going from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the south. Now, most followers or most Jesus would go around the land that's in between, but Jesus doesn't because the land in between is dangerous territory. It's enemy territory. It's a place called Samaria. It's filled with people who are different than they are. It's filled with all sorts of people who think very different things about how to be in this world and think very different things about about God and what God is up to in the world. It's filled with people who aren't necessarily uh, interested in following a person like Jesus, might even be hostile to people who are following Jesus. And Eugene Peterson says this is sort of a, a metaphor for us because Galilee in the north and Jerusalem in the south is really the safest place in the world for Jews. They're surrounded by people who all think the same things that they do, all believe the same things, relatively speaking, that they do about God. So those two places are the safest places in the world for them. It's that space in between in Samaria that's dangerous. And this becomes a metaphor for us. Sunday to Sunday, those are the safest places for us. But when we get out there in between Sundays, it can be... It could be a little different. So this becomes a metaphor for us. So, there, so Jesus is taking his disciples through this place where people aren't necessarily interested in following him like we are. Right? And he tells them all these different stories. Stories about, about ordinary things. Stories about crops and barns. Stories, stories about... What was that noise? Stories about lost things and lost animals and lost, lost people. Remember last week? He even tells them a story about manure. He tells them a story about poop. And anytime I can fit the word poop into a sermon, I'm going to do it because it's funny. And I'm a seventh grader at heart. So anyway, he tells them all of these stories. right? And then here's this story about a widow and a judge. And just in case we're not smart enough, or just in case we're, we are so dull, as Jesus sometimes calls his disciples, just in case we're not ready to get the point of the story, Luke like, gives it to us up front. He's like, y'all, this is a story about prayer. Jesus told them this story to show his disciples that they should always pray. They should always pray and not give up. Now, I find this awesome and fascinating because here's Jesus He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's taking his disciples to Jerusalem. Luke makes it absolutely clear that Jesus knows what's ahead. And we know what happens in Jerusalem when he finally gets there. We know that, that the cross is there. And Luke makes it clear that Jesus knows that the cross is there. And so here we are on a walk, and he tells them these beautiful stories. There's 10 parables in all sort of giving us ways in which we can make our way out there, live into this new reality he calls the kingdom of God through story. How do we do it when we're between Sundays? And he tells them this story that's about prayer. Actually, this is the second story he tells them about prayer, which I think tells us how important prayer is to Jesus, because he knows he's about to enter into the last week of his life. So this is like his last opportunity to make the best teaching impression he can on his followers. And he tells them not one story, but two stories about prayer, right? Because he knows that we need prayer. I mean, we do prayer in here, 
This is where we're supposed to pray. This is church. So we do prayer in here, but I think, I think mostly Jesus is trying to get us to understand that, that we need prayer. We need prayer out there in between Sundays. Right? So let's enter into the story. Here we, have, here we have a widow. She's one of the most um, marginalized, most vulnerable people uh, in her society. She has no power to speak of. She has no cultural standing whatsoever. She has no strings to pull, right? And the law of Moses, Torah, is absolutely clear. It is the husband who's now gone. It's his family's responsibility to take care of this woman along with and or the faith community in order to make sure that this widow has what she needs, not just to survive, but to live a full happy life, right? And apparently, they're just not doing their job. Either she has no family, or she has no faith community, or they're just ignoring her. And so all she has in this world, the only one she has to lean on, her last hope, because she's desperate, no one's taking care of her, her last hope in the whole world is this judge, and Jesus tells us this, this judge doesn't care about what God thinks. This judge doesn't care about what people think. And apparently, he's now ignoring her. So what does she do? She hounds him. She doesn't give up. She just lays into the guy. She's like knocking on his door, if you picture it. She's like knocking on his door at midnight, crying out for just, you got to do something for me. I ain't got nothing left. I don't have anything. You have to do. She's yelling at him at, on the streets. He's just trying. He's minding his own business. He's maybe he's dressed in his cute little robe, and he's walking to work, and he's on the street, and she's yelling at him, embarrassing him in front of everything. And finally, after so many days, who knows, weeks and months of being badgered in public by this woman who just will not give up. His fragile little ego finally is bruised enough that he says, okay, fine. I'm going to give you what you want because you're embarrassing me and I don't want to deal with this anymore and that's it. And Jesus says, that's what prayer's like. What? Jesus said, this is, Luke tells us, this is a story about praying and never giving up. Always pray and do not give up. Now, all of us, I'm assuming we pray. Most of us take time to pray, especially when we're in here. We do it as a community. Most of us take time to pray, and sometimes we just, sometimes we stop praying. We, we, sometimes we quit. And, and why shouldn't we? Why wouldn't we? Because oftentimes we just don't get, we don't get what we ask for. We don't get the kind of answers that, that we want. Sometimes it, feel like, it feels like we don't get any answer at all. Sometimes it feels like God is silent. Sometimes it feels like, like, God, is, like God is absent. And yet some of, us, some of us continue to pray, even when it feels like God is absent. Some of us actually continue to pray even when it seems like God is silent. You know what? 
I think this is a reality. This is a discipline. This is a way of living life that, that we need to learn. Like it's a habit that needs to be cultivated. It's an idea, in fact, that needs to be taught to us. Why else would Jesus tell this story teaching them that they should always pray and not give up? Because this is something that we need to learn, and apparently it's something that maybe it's a hard lesson to learn. But we need to learn this idea that we should keep praying. We should always pray and never give up. So to get into this idea, I want us to, to watch a video. This is a TikTok that was sent to me this last week by my sister. Um, I can't show you the whole video because the end of it's not safe for work and would be inappropriate in a setting like this. So if you want the full video, come talk to me. Maybe I'll send it to you. Uh, but we're going to watch part of it. Uh, and I got to tell you, it's going to feel like a left turn, like what's this have to do with anything? But I'm going to bring it all back and we'll weave it back together and it'll be great. Right? So let's watch this video. Adam, Eve, I need to tell you something. There's a tree among there. It's called the tree of knowledge. You must never eat from it. Which tree over there? There's like a thousand trees over there. You're going to have to be more specific. Also, why don't you just like cut down the tree if you don't want us to eat from it? I do not have the power to cut it down, but do not eat from it. Do not be tempted. Don't eat the tree. I won't eat a tree. No, it has apples. Don't eat from the apple. Apples? I don't, I don't want to eat any apples. I know, you're acting like this tree is really tempting, but it grows apples? Okay, what fruit should it be to make it tempting? Maybe like, I don't know, watermelon maybe? Oh, totally, yeah. If you said it was watermelon and you said don't eat it, I'd be like, I don't know, I'm pretty tempted to eat it. But apples, I'm like, okay. Watermelons don't grow on trees. I don't know, just make it like a bush. But then I had to call it the bush of knowledge and it's like, also, I have a bush story coming up later. Um, it's about a burning bush. It's a, I don't want to explain it. It's a tree of knowledge. What kind of, what kind of knowledge do we get from it? I can't tell you because then you'd have the knowledge. If you don't want us to eat from it, just like take it away. You're God. You control this whole entire place. No, you don't understand. It's like, it's a symbol. It's a metaphor. What, are, are you the kid from the fault on our stars? What metaphor? It's not endearing when you do it. I'm honestly confused about the core concept. So you made that tree, you made it have apples, and then you were like, don't eat from it, but you made it. If you eat from it, you get kicked out of Eden. At this point, I'm tempted to eat it to get out of this conversation. Adam, Eve, I need to tell you something. Okay. There's a tree among them. Oh my goodness. Like, I watch that video and I think to myself, so funny. My goodness. The imagination and the brilliance of that uh, just blows me away. And it, it's fun. It's hilarious. Because um, she's obviously funny, too. But then I start thinking to myself, wait a minute. Why didn't it go down like that? Like, why... why why didn't it happen? Just kind of like, maybe not exactly like that, but why didn't it happen? 
like that. I mean, Adam and Eve could have saved themselves a whole lot of trouble if they had just asked some questions. Why didn't they why didn't they ask some questions? Why didn't they ask for more details? Why didn't they just probe this thing a little bit? Why didn't they ask for more information? Why weren't they inquisitive? Why, why were they like, okay, we'll accept that? Why didn't, they, why didn't they talk to God? Why didn't they question God? Why didn't they express their curiosity whatsoever? Well, maybe they didn't think they had permission. What do I know? But maybe they didn't think they had permission to be curious. Maybe the first people trying to figure out what it was to connect with the divine, maybe they didn't think they had permission to question. Maybe they didn't think they had permission to be curious. So they didn't ask any questions. Maybe that's why God set it up the way they set it, way God set it up, because isn't it weird? Think about it. God creates the first people, puts them in this lush garden, and says, This is all yours. It belongs to you. Take care of it. Enjoy it. Right? Till the ground. Be fruitful. Multiply. It's, it's great. But see that tree over there? I don't eat it from, don't eat from that. And they're like, fine. Isn't that weird? Why didn't they question? Maybe they didn't think they had permission. Maybe they didn't think they, they had permission to question or to be curious. Maybe God set it up that way without giving them details. It was like an invitation for them to ask questions. God, you're going to have to tell us more, but maybe they didn't think they, maybe didn't think they, they could. Right? This is a lesson they needed to learn and they hadn't learned it yet. Even a little bit later on in the story in Genesis, you've got Abraham. He's got, he's got his son Isaac, his one and only son whom he loves. And God says, take him up on this mountain over here and, and sacrifice him, kill him. And what does Abraham do? He takes his son, he walks up the mountain. You know what he doesn't do? Doesn't ask any questions. He's not curious. He just Goes. Maybe he at that point didn't yet know he had permission to ask God questions, to be curious, to wonder. And this is a lesson, maybe this is a lesson we have to learn, and that's reflected to us in the story of God interacting with the divine. But somewhere along the way, you know what happened? People learned this lesson. People somewhere along the line understood that it's okay to question God. The people of God eventually learned that the experience of, of God's silence in prayer isn't because of some mess up on our part or some sort of technical glitch in the way that we pray. God's silence is common for people who pray. And it's okay to question that silence. It's okay to be curious. It's okay to demand justice. It's okay for us to say to God, what is going on here? I'd like a little more detail, please. We have permission. And you know where this is expressed the best? The best place this is expressed is in the Psalms. And the Psalms are nothing more than a collection of prayers for us that become a kind of, I've said this before, a kind of prayer manual for us. If we want to learn how to pray, we go to the Psalms. And you know what the Psalms do? They question God all the time. They, they don't feel any inhibition. Like they don't feel any, they don't feel like they don't have permission to question, to ask God for some details. Listen to these Psalms. Psalm 10. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Imagine these words on the lips of the widow, complaining to the judge. 
Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and sorrow in my heart all day long? How long must my enemy be exalted over me? Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far off from helping me, from the words of my groaning? Oh God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. By night, and I find no rest. Psalm 44, rouse yourself. Wake up. Rise from your slumber. Psalm 74. How long, O Lord, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Psalm 79. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Psalm 90. Turn, O Lord, how long? Friends, this is the tradition that's get handed down to us over the years. This is the tradition that has been given to us. This is what our tradition teaches us about our relationship with God. Why? 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 How long? How long? How long? People who pray ask those questions all the time. People who've decided they're going to continue to pray ask those questions all the time. Why? 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 How long? How long? How long? Will you forget me forever? Give us some details. What's happening here? You've been there, haven't you? Why? How long? I've been there. I've asked those questions all the time. In fact, these last few years, I've asked those questions a lot. Because these last few years have been real frustrating trying to figure out how to be church in this world. Like, give us some answers, God. I don't know if I know what I'm doing anymore. You're going to have to show us a way. How long are we going to have to do this the way we're doing this? It is really frustrating. You're going to have to show off. You're going to have to show up. You're going to have to give us some answers eventually. Why? How long? Show up. What are you doing? We ask these questions all the time when we lose someone we dearly love. This community of Ames lost a 16-year-old this last week. I had the privilege of coaching him. And he died in a car accident. I'm sick about it. Why? How long? What are you doing? You can't let this kind of stuff happen. When a loved one gets sick, when we lose a job, when someone who, who we love so dearly just betrays us, flat out lies to us, we cry out, why? How long? We have permission to cry out. We have permission to question God. We have permission to question God's motives. We have permission to question the silence of God the absence of God, give us something. So we do. We pray. We keep praying. Because that's the tradition we've been given. I'm so glad. But why do we do it? I think we keep doing it because we know who God is. I think we keep doing it because we know who God has revealed himself to be. God is the God who creates. God is the God who rescues. 
God is the, the God who saves. God is the God who chooses people to be in relationship with him. God is the one who created heaven and earth and everything in between. And, and we look out there and we spend some time sometimes out, out in nature and we just wonder at it all. And we look at how good it is and we're like, this God who made all of this must be really, really good. God is the one who's called all sorts of people who've sort of lost to his ways and, and alienated from his love and God calls them back. We know God to be a good, rescuing, welcoming, inclusive God. And we learned it all by paying attention to what's revealed in this book We've learned it all because, because we've learned the whole story about God. From Genesis to Revelation, we've learned the whole story. Not just little parts of it, not just little bits of it that we can pull out and say that's exactly what God is like. No, we have this whole expansive scripture that tells us the whole story about God and who God has revealed himself to be. And we know that God has revealed himself to be good and loving and gracious and kind and we pay attention. We've learned it by paying attention to the people around us who've been following Jesus a lot longer than we have. So this sketch of this evil judge in this parable that Jesus tells us, in which he encourages us to always pray and not give up, is exactly who God is not. And we know this. And we know this because we've learned about God through story and song and reflection and relationship. And we recognize immediately that the evil judge in this story is not a reflection of who God revealed himself to be. And by looking at this judge and exactly who God, we learn exactly who God is not. And when we learn in some weird way who God is not, we are reminded exactly of who God is. Good, patient loving, giving, generous, forgiving. We keep praying. That's why we keep praying. We do it because we know that neither the silence of God nor the absence of God is any indication that God is mad at us. It's not any indication that God is angry with us. It's not any indication that God doesn't care about who we are and what it is we're going through. God is not that judge. God is love. And we realize that God is truly our only hope. So we pray. We pray, we pray, and we don't lose heart. We keep praying. And I like it. I actually like it that Luke tells us what the meaning of the story is right at the beginning in case we miss it. I like it that he says Jesus told his disciples this parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up, that they should always pray and not lose heart. Always pray. I like it because those words are words that we can understand. Always pray. I get that. But sometimes it's hard to do. It's hard to live. It is. Because sometimes, you know what prayer does? You know what prayer becomes for us? It becomes simply a religious activity. It's obviously a religious activity. Right? But it just becomes something that we do at certain designated times and in certain designated circumstances, right? We pray before meals. We pray in church, of course. We pray before bed. Pray to go to, before we go to sleep at night. And then it becomes something religious. We do it without just sort of, we do it without even thinking about it. We do it because that's what you do. It's like riding a bike, driving a car, typing on a 
a keyboard. We do it. It's natural. We may even be really good at it. We may even be great at it. We use all the right words and all that kind of stuff, but it's just sort of something we do. It's a religious thing. And I don't know about you, but I don't think that's what Jesus means when he tells us this story to show us that we should always pray and not lose heart and not give up. I think Jesus is encouraging his disciples, his followers, and you and me to train ourselves not just to pray, but to live a life of prayer. To, to train ourselves to actually, to actually think about it. To actually become aware of the presence of God in our lives in moments where we might not expect it. Like when you're having a conversation with a friend and they're telling you a story about their life and, and suddenly you're moved. You're deeply moved. It's in that moment that you recognize the Spirit is doing something in me and you pray. And I think sometimes even a conversation with another person, a friend, where you're just bearing your soul, you're telling them everything you're struggling about or, or you're telling them all of the amazing things that just happened to you and you're just in that place where you're, you're bearing your soul, you're not just saying that to your friend. The presence of God is right there, and you think about that, it's a kind of prayer. God is right there. Or when you experience something at work that moves you deeply, pray. Recognize that the Spirit is doing something within you, pray. Or when you're, when you're streaming something online, you're watching a show, you're watching some sort of drama, maybe even a comedy, and it makes you laugh to tears or moves you to tears in some other sort of way, Rec stop right there and pray because recognize that the Spirit is moving in you right then, right there at that moment. Pray always. Do not give up. Pray always. Do not lose heart. Always pray. I want to end with some words by one of our early church fathers, Evagrius the Solitary. Such great titles back then. Evagrius the Solitary. Sounds to me like he's probably a person who spent a lot of time in prayer. If he's the solitary, this guy probably prayed a lot says this, often when I have prayed, I have asked for what I thought was good and persisted in my petition, stupidly importuning the will of God and not leaving it to him to arrange things as he knows is best for me. But when I have obtained what I've asked for, I've been very sorry that I did not ask for the will of God to be done because the thing turned out to be not as I had thought. Don't be distressed if you do not at once receive from God what you ask. God wishes to give you something better, to make you persevere in your prayer. For what is better than to enjoy the love of God and to be in communion with God? And maybe that's it, finally. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's why Jesus tells us stories to teach us to always pray. Because God just wants us to be with him. Wants us to 
to open our eyes and ears and hearts and just pay attention. God wants us to be in relationship with Him. And I like, I like that thought. I like that thought a lot, especially when I'm in between Sundays, when I'm, when I'm out there. I like it that God just wants to be with me. Let's pray.